Hi guys, this is Sophie here with another week of 28 Days Ladier. I am joined as always by my fantabulous co-host, Hannah. Hello. Now, um, Hannah and I just wanted to say right off the bat, um, before we get into the topic for this week, that we realized there was an issue with the most recent episode for the orphanage. Um, We are working on getting that audio figured out. There seems to be a problem with the actual download process from the podcast platform we use. So I'm in touch with them and we are going to work on that. Uh, In the meantime, that episode has been taken down uh, and we will have a new version of it up as soon as we can. In light of current events, um, for those of you that did listen to the Orphanage episode, I put a tag at the beginning that you you likely heard that Hannah and I felt a little um, uncomfortable. I think we kind of struggled with what to do about that episode because we did record it a couple of weeks before it was released. And so it it felt weird editing it in the wake of what's been going on because it is just like a very sort of light and chipper conversation with our friend. And so we wanted to um, take this time this week to do something a little bit different. There have been a lot of conversations about trying to amplify black voices. And I think you and I have spoken on this podcast at least a little bit about the importance of representation, especially when it comes to women in the cast, in the writing room, and behind the camera. I think we wanted to take some time this week to sort of focus on the importance of representation of people of color and especially black folks in the horror genre. And so to that end, we're going to be discussing the Shudder original documentary Horror Noir. I want to say off the bat that Hannah and I are both uh, white women, and so... We are going to do our best. I wanted to create a space where we could sort of be open about how we're feeling. I think it's very important that we let all of our listeners know that Hannah and I very much support the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, as well as all the protests that are going on right now. We, along with millions of people around the world, were horrified to see and hear about the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, to name, unfortunately, just a few. Um, and so we, I want to point out, or I want to, I guess, let you know ahead of time that we are both working to continue to educate ourselves. And so we apologize in advance if we say things that, um, that don't sound right or if we communicate in a way that is not clear or we say something that we don't mean. Um, We are both still trying to learn how to be good allies, but we wanted to take this time to really amplify the voices of some really important uh, academics and critics when it comes to horror, especially horror for black audiences. So Hannah, I had seen Horror Noir already. Shudder released it last year in February in honor of Black History Month, and I found it to be essential viewing, frankly, as a horror fan. I'm wondering what it was like for you to watch it this week uh, as a first-time viewer. Um, so for me, I was like immediately um, shocked by just how much, um, how much of the, like the films that they were talking about um, are a part of film history and yet I never 
learned about any of these movies when I studied film in college. Mm-hmm. And um, that immediately struck me. I Like, watching the movie, I was like, <laughs> they should be showing this documentary, if not, like, all of the movies referenced in it in schools. And um, it's so crazy to me because I remember thinking when I started studying film in college one of the first movies that you watch is Birth of a Nation mm-hmm. um, and in in film schools they'll say like you know it's a super racist film and it's really messed up but it's like one of the first complicated narrative films ever so it's important for film history um, and I I was kind of like, eh, <laughs> can we mm-hmm. find, like, the second one? Um, <laughs> but um, they'll talk about, in film school, like, they talked about Birth of a Nation and how problematic it was, but we still had to watch the whole thing. And then they talk about, um, like, at least in the school that I went to later on, when they talk about Spike Lee, um, they talk about how when he was at NYU, he... Um, was really frustrated that they weren't watching any films by uh, black filmmakers. Um, and then on top of that, he was being forced in, like, multiple classes to sit through Birth of a Nation. Yeah. So it's, like, this thing of um, we were being taught to recognize Spike Lee's frustration as a part of hist- as a part of our film history. Right. But we were also still having to watch Birth of a Nation and still not really including any black filmmakers besides Spike Lee um, in that school's, at least that school's uh, idea of film history. Um, so I think in that respect, my own study and... Going to school for film has always had kind of a weird uh, aspect to it where it's like in a lot of our classes we'll recognize um, like disparities in what we're learning, but then we don't change anything about it. Yeah. Um, so watching this, I was like really happy to watch it and I really enjoyed it too because the just the format as well having a lot of people sit down and watch clips and talk about the clips and talk about the movies is also just I think a great um like format for a documentary it was like I felt like I was watching the movies with them and like I wanted to be in the theater watching these movies right um so I think like it has the film really educated me a lot um, on a whole side of film history that I don't think most people, or at least um, probably like most white students, will experience in their time in film school. Um, And like, that's just crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think like I said up top, you and I have talked about the importance of representation on screen. And I know that you and I personally have had uh, conversations and debates and arguments with folks um, who think that it doesn't really matter, uh, you know, who's writing the movie, who's directing the movie, or how a certain group of people are portrayed. I'm thinking, um, obviously I'm speaking specifically to examples of women in film. Mm-hmm. And something I found really powerful about this documentary is they um, there's a quote very early on, Tenerife Du, who's a really, really well-respected academic in the field of film and specializes in horror film and particularly horror film as it relates to race. She talks about the fact that black history is black horror. And it's this really interesting thing where if you are a person who has studied horror films, you likely have had conversations or read about the idea that horror reflects the things that a society is struggling with, is afraid of, is troubled by. And in those conversations, you've probably talked about horror movies where you have the protagonists confronting an other of some kind, right? Right. And it was, you know, watching this this documentary a second time, it really struck me how much we have those conversations. And I think in a lot of ways, it is assumed that the people having those conversations are white. Because, like, imagine, and I think this movie does a great job of telling you how it would feel if you are the member of a of a minority group. If you are the quote-unquote other, according to society, you know, they they talk in this documentary about movies like King Kong and, and movies like um, The Creature from the Black Lagoon and seeing themselves in the monster. I mean, they sort of talk about the idea very early on in this documentary that in a lot of ways, movies, um, and Birth of the Nation is obviously a really important example, movies and Hollywood in general were actively working to make and keep black uh, white audiences, my apologies, white audiences afraid of black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's really startling and striking to think about the number of times I have read about or written about um, the fear of the other in a horror film without thinking about what that might feel like if you're not a white person watching these movies. Yeah. In particular, when Jordan Peele was talking about um, making Get Out and kind of like what he set out to do. um, And, you know, he said um, that he wanted to make sure that there was absolutely no good white person in the Mm -hmm. film. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he wanted for the audience members watching it, especially the white audience members watching it, to be sitting there the whole time thinking, there's got to be at least one good white person in this. Right. And have it be none. And Mm -hmm. then how it feels to watch a movie where, like, your representation is not like the representation of your race is not flattering. Mm -hmm. Um, and that the people on screen and like the good guys of the film don't look like you. Right. 
Um, right. Because that's like an experience that white people don't experience, like, or we experience very rarely. Um, and yet, for so many um, minorities, like in everything, like TV and movies and like everything, it's like a white person's world. And um, it's something that I don't, I can't even conceive of because I just have always lived in that world and I'll never know what that's like to see everything in media and have it be like you're not a legitimate member of the world or like you're not what we care about representing in our media mm-hmm. yeah and I think uh, the interesting flip side of that is they talk quite a bit about the the trope of the faithful servant you know or the sacrificial negro or the magical negro and the idea that the reason that these tropes exist is because uh, white folks need to be able to feel like the subjugation of black people isn't really hurting them that much. Like, they're okay with it, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I was actually listening to a podcast this morning about this. You know, we've been hearing a lot the last couple weeks about how there's all these, quote-unquote, outside actors that are coming into these protests, and they're the ones that are making it violent. They're the ones that are making it crazy. Um and, you know, this the academic that they were interviewing on the episode was sort of saying, A, that takes agency away from uh, black folks that are angry and are breaking things. Like, and it sort of perpetuates this idea that our black people here in whatever city we live in, they are okay with the way things are. And it's mm-hmm. people from outside that are doing these things. And I think all of these um, issues we're talking about come back to the idea that it's really easy to um, to subjugate a group of people when you don't take any time to get to know them or see them as human beings. And the idea that, you know, movies like Get Out, that movie forced every audience member, every white audience member, to empathize with Chris and see themselves as monstrous and accept a monstrous part of themselves. Um, and I, I think it really can't be overstated how powerful that is. Yeah. Um, and like, as part of that, that um, Jordan Peele had a comment in the movie where he said that he purposefully made the sunken place look like a movie theater um, where um, is Chris is the main character in Get Out? Yes. I'm so bad with names and everything. That's okay. Um, <laughs> where he's like, you know, slipping like farther and farther away from the white characters who are much larger and um, more close up on, on like a box like a screen Mm -hmm. um and he said we can buy a ticket but we can't see ourselves represented on screen and and he has no agency right like it right it it speaks to this 
feeling of just not having agency within the world because the systems were not put in place for you or with yeah. you in mind. Um, I thought it was really interesting. They talk some towards the end of the documentary about examples of films where a character, uh, I guess I should say examples of adaptations where a character is written to be white and then they cast a black actor. The example they talk about most specifically is the girl with all the gifts. And they talk about the way that that movie is really fundamentally changed when you make that girl uh, black. And I had this conversation with a client a year or so ago. He really, really enjoyed the book series, The Passage, which became a TV show. And um, that sort of takes place in a, a vampire apocalypse kind of setting where there is this one girl, Amy, who something about her is going to be what saves humanity. And she's written as this like very pale, quiet, white girl. Um, and they cast a black actress. And I think it means in those points, it's not just about representation. It fundamentally changes the film. I mean, they, they have a line from the girl with all the gifts that shows in a clip in the documentary as the world is sort of the world quote unquote, as we see it, as we know it is ending. And the whole movie, I think we have cared about maybe we've, maybe as white audiences, we've cared about the little girl uh, who is a zombie, but ultimately like we've been hoping that somehow the world is going to be saved, you know? And as it becomes clear that the world as all of the adults, white adults around her know it is not going to uh, continue to be the way it is, they are forlorn. And she says to one of the characters, it's not over, it's just not yours anymore. Mm -hmm. And that line, I have seen that movie a few times. That line resonated with me so much um, in the wake of all of the protests that we're seeing right now. Because I think we talk about, you see people panicking about, you know, well, if we defund the police, then what? Or if we do this, then what? And it, I think the idea that, like, things should not continue to function the way they are now. They can't. The system is broken. That's not true. The system's not broken. The system is working the way it's intended, which is to say the system is disenfranchising and... Um, and harming non-white people. And, like, I love the idea that, like, it's not over. It's just not yours anymore. Uh, it's not broken as much as it's actively working. Right. Against non-white people. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things, uh, if I can just speak about, like, my my personal trying to learn how to be a better ally in the last couple weeks uh along with the idea that being an ally is not a passive thing. Being an ally doesn't mean, well, I support Black Lives Matter, so I'm an ally. I don't have to do anything, I just support them, so I'm an ally. Or I'm not actively working against them, so I'm an ally. Um, and so I've been really working to try to educate myself, and one of the things uh, that I listened to was sort of talking about the, you know, people have probably seen a lot on social media this idea that we should defund the police. And I think uh, for a lot of white folks, uh, that seems like a really terrifying idea. 
And I've listened to several interviews and read several articles where people of color are saying the police have never felt like a safe option. They've never felt like they were here to help us. And so, like, is it really worth your um, comfort in the status quo that the system continues to function if, if what it's doing, if, like, now that you're being confronted with the fact that so many people have never felt that way about the police. And they talk about the idea that the police force, as we understand it, came into existence when slavery ended and white folks started slave patrols to look for, well, I guess before slavery ended, to look for slaves that had escaped and then to find reasons to lock up free slaves so that they could use those enslaved people who were now free for free labor. So, like, I think... Uh, I've sort of gotten off on a tangent and gotten myself all twisted up. But the (laughs) the point I'm trying to make is um, I think I I really want to believe that maybe we're living in a moment right now that people might be starting to understand, not everyone, but some folks who have not sort of been pushed this far before are starting to realize that – you know, the, the world's not broken, but it's not just for us. You know, it's not just for white people. The systems, especially in this country, were built to only benefit a very certain and select group of people. And that that needs to change. That change is very long overdue. So to to your point, um, something in the movie that's kind of reflective of that um, was also sort of toward the end when they were talking about Get Out and um, the ending that was originally written versus how it was changed and for and why it was changed. And um, when they were talking about the, the moment, um, specifically uh, Loretta Devine talking about the moment that the light, like headlights come on uh, onto Chris while he's standing over mm-hmm. um, Allison Williams. And she said, uh, when we see the light, she said, we saw the lights on him first, and it's just the headlights, Mm -hmm. and it's almost like the Klan is coming. Mm. And to me, I had, like, you know, I'm ashamed to say that I had never really thought it in in those terms, and... Mm -hmm how for some people the fear of being on a remote road with a police officer is a similar fear to being on a remote road with someone in the Klan mm-hmm. and how horrifying of a reality that is and how hard a thing that is to, like, digest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think another thing that this documentary does really well, Hannah, I think, to your point, is I think it would be one thing, and this documentary would still be persuasive if they just... Uh, I think we've both sort of mentioned they have this massive cast of academics and critics and actors and directors. It's really amazing the group of people that they have gotten together to talk about these movies. Um, and 
they're sort of speaking about um, about these movies. And I think that in and of itself, this this film would be incredibly effective. But intercut throughout, they they what they you know they're speaking of real historic events that were reflected back in horror, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they're showing clips. So there are clips from the um, from protests and riots in the '60s before the Civil Rights Act was passed. And they talk about the Tuskegee experiments. And they talk towards the end about this idea that, like, when Obama was elected, there were people saying, well, racism is over now. Like, we have a Mm -hmm. black president. Racism is over. Um, And I think all of that, all of those clips interspersed throughout um, are really, really... uh, emotionally resonant especially right now especially um to watch in the wake of or while all these protests are going on and that's not to say that i mean those clips uh stopped my heart the first time i watched it um but i think some of those clips feel so again i think for those of us that are white it's easier to hear about michael brown Trayvon Martin, Philando Castile, get really upset and be horrified for a short period of time and then sort of go back to business as usual because it it doesn't impact us in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think watching, I'm hopeful that we are in a moment right now where where hopefully we will have less people go back to business as usual. But I think because of the moment we're in, this documentary is especially moving to watch right now yeah um especially because um at the end um sort of one of the one of the ending thoughts toward the end of the movie is that there is a hope that for the next generation um it won't be noticeable to have a black lead yeah um and that like that will just be a part of what is normal mm-hmm. um, instead of, you know, what is noticeable. <laughs> right. Um, or that you have to like fight a studio to get a movie made um, based off of a black production team or black actors. And, um, you know, like Jordan Peele says, white people will see movies about non-white people. You just have to make them. Yeah, like, um, he, like he says, you know, get out proved the market is there. It's not yeah, like white exactly. folks won't see movies that don't have white white people in them. Yeah, and, um, and I think that that is also a really important um, idea to take away from the movie, too, because I think that sometimes, um, kind of like what you're saying, where, um, you know, you might see something on the news or hear about a story and feel sad and think it's really horrible, but it's easier to move on with your life because it's not directly affecting you. Mm -hmm. Um, In a similar way, I think the idea that we need to move forward in a way where that is the next generation of media that we start seeing, it's going to take 
everyone supporting that movement um, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think to, to sort of wrap up our, our conversation, I think sort of like what they said in the beginning of the movie, it was clear f- from films like Birth of a Nation, and I think this documentary does a good job of sort of laying out this trajectory that for a long time... Hollywood was perpetuating stereotypes about black people and trying to maintain a status quo in which black people were less than um, well, white even folks they said, were superior and they we also had to be say afraid like, of them. Um, that even sometimes it was like well-meaning white people, but mm-hmm. if it's a white person directing or writing for a black person, they're writing what they think a black person is or how right. they think a black person should be, but they're right. not actually writing from an experience that is genuine Mm -hmm. yeah and I think much in the same way that uh, I think Hollywood is has been part of the problem I'm hopeful that Hollywood can be part of the solution I'm hopeful that more movies like Get Out more movies that force white audiences to empathize with and imagine what it might be like to be the black characters they're watching on screen. I mean, maybe that's part of what folks need to, to have the kinds of things that are happening in the real world, hit them in the same way. And I say that recognizing that no one should need that. Like none of us should need to watch a movie where there's a black protagonist and we can put ourselves in that person's shoes for us to then be horrified by the things that we see. But I think because Hollywood played such an active role in sort of perpetuating these really, really dangerous stereotypes that helped to keep the status quo, uh, I think it's important that Hollywood sort of help help society to move away from that as well. And, and I think we are, I'm hopeful that we are starting to see more films that are reflecting a, a broader experience. Yeah, and I think that um, a point that they kind of circle back to a couple of different times in the movie is that um, it's like multiple people being interviewed mention that like the horror genre especially is such a great place mm-hmm. um, for this kind of change and for these kinds of conversations because like horror allows, um, I think there was a line where someone said, Horror allows us to talk about things that we might not speak about mm-hmm. um, so blatantly otherwise. And um, later on, someone said that once you kind of moved into the 90s and 2000s, you got a lot more uh, self-reflexive horror films mm-hmm. and that those have a great power too because you can kind of draw attention to tropes and stereotypes and reference them and expose them and then kind of say you know, but we're not doing that, like, or we're, that's not us, or, you know, like, that was a, that was a trope, that was a stereotype, we're not doing that anymore. Right. Um, So I think the, the horror genre specifically is a, is a kind of set up really well to be um, a kind of a good uh, battlefield of sorts for changing um media as a whole definitely definitely um 
So I think rather than offering a rating for Horror Noir, Hannah and I are going to strongly recommend that you go and watch Horror Noir. It's available to stream on Shudder. If you haven't already done so, you can, I think they still have a free month of Shudder if you use the code SHUTIN, so you really have no excuse. If you are, uh, I think any self-respecting horror fan should um, really watch this and and sort of interact with it. I think they recommend a lot of really great movies and speak about a lot of important movies. Um, so please watch this movie, tell your friends to watch this movie, dialogue with this movie. I think it's really fascinating. And, um, like, um, in the same way that, you know, I was, a few weeks ago, we were joking about how I kind of enjoyed ten, um, Temptation Island. Um, not that. Uh, Fantasy, Fantasy Island. Island. When I was watching Fantasy Island, I was like, it's so fun to see people I love just, like, having fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was definitely an energy that this that this film brings as well. It's like, you get to see a lot of... Um, actors and directors that you recognize from a ton of movies Um, and just you can you get to watch people watching movies and genuinely enjoying them and knowing a lot about them and I think for anyone who's a fan of not just horror film but just like films in general that's a great experience just to sit back and watch like people who really know a lot of great information really enjoying themselves um watching clips and discussing them definitely that's a really good point um and i think a really great place to wrap our conversation of horror noir uh before we go though in lieu of later news this week hannah and i wanted to offer some resources to folks as i said earlier in the show one thing that I think all of us need to learn and remind ourselves often is that allyship is not a passive thing. Allyship is active. That means educating yourself, you know, get out to protest if you can, donate if you can. I don't think that you need to do everything, but find something meaningful you can do. Have hard conversations with people in your life. Um, I wanted to first recommend some horror specific resources. So Tenerife Du, who's a professor at UCLA, and she's one of the uh, people who is very prominently featured in horror noir. She offers a class that is about race in horror um, and black horror films. You can actually buy the class online. I think it's about $100, maybe a little bit more, for the entire course syllabus. Uh, The class is called The Sunken Place. And um, I have not completed the course yet, but I did, I did buy the course uh, when I first watched Horror Noir, and it features a guest lecture with Jordan Peele because the class sort of shifted to this format around the time that Get Out came out. So um, follow Tenor I Do on social media and check out her class. There's also a website called Graveyard Shift Sisters, which is Ashley Blackwell's blog. She was also featured in Horror Noir, and she talks about... Um, representation of black folks in horror and especially black women in horror. And then Robin Means Coleman, um, who is a teacher at Texas A&M, who is also featured in the documentary. These three women are powerhouses of horror criticism. They are incredibly intelligent. Um, I would recommend you read anything that they write. For those of you that are sort of wanting to educate yourself on what exactly is going on right now or, um, You know, if you're someone who 
you are not, if you are a white person listening to this and you are sort of trying to get a handle on uh, the reactions of other people that you don't understand. If you don't understand why people are as angry as they are, if you have problems with the looting, if you have questions about what's going on, some resources that I've found helpful that I've been sharing with folks are the Code Switch podcast did a really beautiful episode called A Decade of Watching Black People Die. Today Explained, which is an NPR podcast, did an episode called What Abolish the Police Means. So if you've been hearing folks talk about that, um, and you sort of have a knee-jerk reaction that, well, we can't get rid of the police, that would be bad. This clarifies that abolishing or defunding the police doesn't necessarily mean that we get rid of police altogether, but it means we really fundamentally rethink what those systems look like. Today Explained also had an episode called The Talk, in which a black mother of a black son and a white mother of a white son talk to their sons about police, and, and you sort of see the differences in those conversations. Um, I would also recommend Up First has an hour-long special episode about the history of American policing that's really important. If you have not watched Trevor Noah's response to what's been going on, um, you can find that on YouTube. He sort of speaks about, he speaks in particular to the reaction that some folks had, especially early on when they saw people looting and they felt like, why would you do that? Um, I think he offers a really beautiful and powerful um, way to frame that and think about it. Similarly, Vox has an article called um, How to Be an Ally for Anti-Racism. And also, if you're interested, if this is an issue you're interested in and you want to sort of become actively involved and stay involved, there's an organization called Surge. Standing Up for Racial Justice. They have chapters all over the country. I belong to the local chapter here. Um, and it's an organization to sort of help mobilize uh, white folks and, and, and sort of educate you on how to be a good ally and how to use your privilege to help other people. If you want to donate, a couple organizations you could donate to are the George Floyd Memorial Fund, the Minnesota Freedom Fund, I run with Maud, Justice for Maud Arbery, Justice for Breonna Taylor, the National Bailout Fund, and Unicorn Riot, which is a nonprofit media organization that's dedicated to having journalists on the ground who can sort of report fairly about issues like civil disobedience and police brutality. We will have links to all of these resources in our episode notes for this week. But we really want to encourage all of you um, to step outside your comfort zone, do something different, go to a protest, talk to a loved one, have, a, have an uncomfortable conversation, um, just try to educate yourself. We really need to keep the momentum that has grown during these protests going um, because we cannot keep uh, allowing black people to die and be treated horrifically because it makes us uncomfortable to talk about it. So in the meantime, everyone, please stay safe, stay healthy, take care of yourself and your neighbors, and we'll see you here next week. <laughs>